3,000 years ago, there was a king named Solomon who was the richest man who ever lived. And he was trying to make some sense of life and find some meaning. And he left us a journal called Ecclesiastes. I'm glad that God left this book in the Bible, although Ecclesiastes at times can be a troubling book. This week I heard a pastor make a point, and he used Ecclesiastes as a proof text. In other words, he was giving it as evidence that this is the right way to live. And on occasion, there are a few places in Ecclesiastes that you can do that. But there are a lot of things in Ecclesiastes you wouldn't want to build your life on. It's the Word of God, but God has allowed this man to enter his journal into the official record. And a lot of it is, is unhappy because he, he's trying to make sense of life, and he can't make sense of life. Now, some of you have been Bible students for a long time, and you know something. You know that Ecclesiastes is not the only book that Solomon penned. You know that there's a book called Proverbs that Solomon was, he was the author of the lion's share of the book. And Proverbs has a lot of very good stuff that you can build your life on. And you wonder sometimes as you back away from this picture and say, how can this man come up with such awesome advice in Proverbs and have such bad advice in the book of Ecclesiastes? Well, you have to remember that in these days that, that wise men and women, you know, the, the really smart people, the college professors of the day and the, you know, the sages, they had the idea that if they observed enough life, they could figure it out and they could write it down and leave it for the rest of us. And that genre of literature that they created was called wisdom literature. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are both examples. The thing about Ecclesiastes was Solomon had enough time to look at what he thought would work and find out that some of it didn't work like he thought, and he began to enter things into the record. And, and, and that's how many of us grew up. When we were young, we were taught a lot of the Ben Franklin Proverbs, you know, and that kind of stuff. Early to bed, early to wise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Apple a day keeps the doctor away. And, you know, quotes like that. But then after a while, we look at enough life, and it doesn't seem to work that we come up with the Murphy's Law kind of observations. I read what one guy said this week after he was observing life, and I thought it was kind of interesting and very much like Ecclesiastes. He wrote down seven observations for us. He said, number one, nothing is foolproof to a talented fool. <laughs> number two, the early bird may get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. <laughs> Borrow from a pessimist, number three, they don't expect it back. Number four, and in, in the corporate world, a lot of you, you know, out of spirit or coke or whatever, you've seen this done. If at first you don't succeed, destroy all evidence that you tried. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, this is my personal favorite. Experience is something you don't need until just after you get it. <laughs> Number six, the sooner you fall behind, the more time you have to catch up. And number seven, if at first you don't succeed, then skydiving is definitely not for you. <laughs> And that's kind of what, that's the mood Solomon's in when he's writing Ecclesiastes. In Proverbs, he is saying, these are the things that will work. In Ecclesiastes, he is saying, wow, this is life as I see it, and it's not a pretty picture. So what, what are we, we going to take from that? I mean, what are we going to draw from this man's writing so different in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes? Well, on one hand, we can say that it is true that there are a lot of things in this life that don't work out the way we planned them. We live according to the axioms of life, and maybe it didn't come out exactly like we thought it was going to. So yes, this world is broken in the box, and there are things about it that just don't work. We saw that last week. But what we also saw last week is that Solomon is making a lot of the bad that he's observing in his life. He's saying stuff's not working, but when Solomon looks closely at his own life, he's discovering that many of the things that are not working, they're the way they are because of the way that Solomon is living his life. Probably no point or no element of Solomon's life causes him as much disillusionment as his, 
is his feelings about money. Because Solomon was the richest man in his world, and if we look at what he accumulated and we contextualize it in the times, we could say that Solomon was the richest person who ever lived in the history of the world. And he had this concept that money was going to make him happy, but it didn't. Now, we see how money works in his life. If you were here for the second sermon, I talked to you about how Solomon explored all these different avenues of life to try to make himself happy. He built houses, he planted gardens, he tried different kinds of projects, he brought in entertainers and comedians to make him laugh, he bought possessions. He had a thousand women in his life, and I think that you're smart enough to know and savvy enough to know that he didn't have those thousand women because he was an unusually handsome man. No matter how, how handsome or how magnetic a man's personality is, a thousand women are just not going to be drawn to him automatically. Solomon did these things. He, he bought, he married, he collected, he built because of the power that money gave him. Money was behind it all. Money was what allowed him to try the experiments and to do the things that he did in life. And that's why we, that's why we like money. That's why we want it. Money gives us power. Money gives us choices. Money opens doors. Money allows things. And Solomon just had that extended to, to an unbelievable proportions. We, we saw already that his income in gold was $320 million a year. Every year, he received $320 million in gold, and that was just gold because the merchants of the world brought in all kinds of, of, of rich things to Solomon for him to enjoy. I was reading this, this week about Solomon that during his reign, silver was despised. There was so much gold, there was so much wealth in the kingdom that silver was nothing. They didn't even count silver. You know, you could have silver implements. Every day you could eat on silver dishes, and you could eat with silver, silver forks and spoons and knives, and you could have silver all over your house, and they'd say, well, they shop at Walmart. That's how it was. Silver wasn't even respected because it was a golden age. And Solomon had all this stuff, but when he looked at money, it just left him cold. He, he had the Midas touch, but like Midas discovered in the fairy tale, everything he touched, even though it turned to gold, didn't make him happy. So he sat down and he began to write his observations about money. And I think you're going to find these interesting because a lot of the things that he says about money bear on our lives today. In Ecclesiastes 5 verse 13, here's one of the first things he says. There's another serious problem I've seen in the world. Riches are sometimes hoarded to the harm of the saver. This is the person that says, hey, I got money, but I'm afraid to risk it. So I'm just going to put it in the bank. I'm going to stuff it in the mattress. You ever see somebody like that? You know, they just sort of hoard it. And he, he, he envisions this guy. Here's this person that just says, nobody's going to get, like, you know, like Pink Floyd said, keep your hands off my stack. You know, can I have what I have? Then Solomon said there, there are other people, look at, look at verse 14, or they put it into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. And in the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. So he sees two different kinds of people here. One is saying, hey, I'm not going to invest in anything. The other is saying, you know, I'm going to put it in, you know, this is the person that lost it in the tech bubble. And, and uh, you know, when the stock market went down or, or you know, in, in some risky market, they lose their money. And at the end of the day, verse 15, Solomon says, people who live only for wealth come to the end of their lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day they were born. So he's saying whether you have a very conservative approach to the way you handle your money and you hoard it or you're very, you know, you're very aggressive in the way you invest, he said at the end of the day, your odometer is going going to go to all zeros, and you're going to leave it here. Now, in chapter 2, verse 18, he had another problem with money. He said, I'm disgusted that I must leave the fruits of my hard work to others, and who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? 
And yet, look at this, they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work. How meaningless. Solomon is like a lot of type A personalities who achieve great things and make a lot of money. He is after the control that money gives him. And he's saying, when I die, I'm going to lose control. I'm going to pass it all on to my heirs. I, I, I've read some about, you know, these Palm Beach uh, kids that, you know, in, in, inherit all these millions of dollars and they have to turn over their trust funds or the, you know, the, 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 those who leave legacies of money will turn it over to these trust fund bankers so that when the kid comes in and says, I want a new red Ferrari, you know, they have to make the case for it. And that's what Solomon was saying. He said, when I leave money to my heirs, I don't know if they're going to use it wisely or not because I won't have control of it anymore. And so it is. I may be talking to somebody today who's very wealthy, and you may have millions of dollars, but when you die, you're not going to have control over that. I years ago heard a story about a, a man that loved his money, and, and he loved it so much, he left it in his will that when he died, he wanted all his money to be put into his casket, everything. He wanted all of his wealth converted into big bills. He wanted it in his casket. After his funeral, somebody went to his wife and said, I hope you weren't foolish enough to put all the money in the casket. She said, oh, I honored his request. I wrote him a check for the entire amount, put it in the casket. <laughs> you won't have control over it after you die. You say, well, I'm going to leave it to an institution, but you don't know what that institution is going to do with your funds. And by the way, it's, it's really smart. If you're going to leave, if you're going to leave mon money someplace in your will, make sure that you leave it as smart as you can. And Solomon's saying, I'm going to do that, but I don't know. He said, my son may be foolish, and his son wasn't that. I mean, if you read the story of Rehoboam, his son, he did, he did all kinds of terrible things. And, and we're still suffering from issues in the Middle East today that were created by Solomon's son, Rehoboam. There's another problem that he sees in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4. He said, then I observed that most people are motivated to success by the envy of their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Well, that's the American thing, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's something about us, and let's just be honest, unscrew the halos for a moment. There's something about it when you get a new car and you drive it to the office and everybody there in the office is kind of standing around it looking a little envious, and you say, well, I don't live for possessions, but isn't it true that there's a little bit of that that we enjoy? You know, when somebody comes over to our house and you can kind of see the envious, like, mm, we don't live in a house like this. Or somebody looks at your clothes and they're saying, wow, that's, re that's really nice. And Solomon's saying, that's what I'm noticing. A lot of people are motivated by the envy of their neighbors. Someone as well said, Americans are the only people in the world who spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. And Solomon said, that's what I see most people are, are motivated to success by. But that too, he said, is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Chapter 5, verse 10, another problem. Those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what is the advantage of wealth except perhaps to watch it run through your fingers? Well, you know, if you have a lot of money, it's hard to know who are true friends and who are, hanger, who, who are the hangers-on. Solomon said the more money you have, the more relatives you have, the more friends you have. They, they want to come help you spend it. Then in, in, in chapter 6, verse 1, he says there's another problem. There's another serious tragedy I've seen in our world. God gives great wealth and honor to some people and gives them everything they could ever want, but then he doesn't give them the health to enjoy it. They die, others get it. This is meaningless, a sickening tragedy. Solomon is saying, I look around and I see people have a lot of money, but they don't have the health to enjoy it. 
In a recent symposium that featured some of the world's richest men, Bill Gates gave a speech. After that, there was an eye specialist who was renowned all over the world for his skilled work. And he stood up and he began to talk about his work, and he, he, he mentioned blindness, and he, he even called Bill Gates out of the crowd, and he asked him, he said, with all your billions of dollars, if you did not have your sight, would you give up all your money to get your sight? And Gates attested in front of all those people that, yes, he would. With all of his billions of dollars, if he couldn't see, he'd give up every penny to be able to see. Can you see this morning? Do you have sight? Many of us do. Most of us do. And, and what, what Solomon is saying is, look, if you've, got health, if you've got the health to enjoy the money that you do have, that's a good thing. But there are people who have, have all kinds of money, but they don't have the health to enjoy it. So he's just ticking these things off one by one. He's saying, I see all these problems with money. There's never enough. If you have money, you don't know if people are your friends or not. And beyond that, you're going to leave it all behind. Maybe you're going to leave it to somebody smart. Maybe you're going to leave it to somebody stupid. I mean, if you look at the history of, of American corporations, you'll find that some of the worst uh, stories in corporate America have happened when, you know, a, a rich father or mother, good business person dies, and they leave the business to their heirs, and the heirs can't handle it. Solomon is looking at all these issues of life, and he's saying, money just does not work. But as I said last week, we're not going to let Solomon give us the answers. We're just going to let him ask the questions, because he's all messed up. There are answers from the Bible today, and in this morning's Life Points, I want to give you some of what the Bible has to say about the way that you use your funds. And I hope you have notepaper where you can write some of these things down, because these are just absolutely awesome. Now, before I get into them, let me say this. There are some of you out there today who are saying, you know, Pastor, when you talk about being rich, you're not talking to me. I'm not like Solomon. I'm just hoping I can pay my bills. Could I say to you today, if you live in America, you're rich. That's it. I, I, I got an email to, this week from a missionary in the Ukraine. He had to take his two daughters to the hospital, and, and it was touch and go for a while with their lives. And he wrote to me about the conditions and what they're like in that hospital and the sanitary things. It made me sick to my stomach just reading his email. And I thought, Lord, how rich we are. We, we just assume sanitary conditions in our hospitals. And most of us live in climate-controlled houses. You know, you may not drive a brand-new car, but you're able to get around town. You've got transportation. You know, you've got a little money in the bank. Most of us are not worried about where lunch is going to come from today. We are so blessed. We are so rich. I want us to keep that in mind as we look at these life points. Now, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. This is so good. The, the writer of Proverbs says, first, help me never to tell a lie. Second, look at this, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me enough, just enough, to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Now think about what the writer of Proverbs is saying there. He is saying, Lord, there is a zone that I want to live in. I don't want to be mega rich. I don't want to be ultra rich because if I get that rich, I may forget about you and I may say, you know, who is God? And I don't need God. And that's what happens with a lot of us as Americans. That's why I pointed out a moment ago that all of us are rich. Because many of us, we face today and we forget that we even need God because our money allows us to live the lifestyle of security, at least perceived security, that we think we want to have. And Solomon is saying, Lord, if I'm so rich... I may deny your name. But he said, I want to be so poor that I don't have food to eat and I steal and embarrass you. So he said, keep me in this zone. Now here's the life point that I want to take away, wants to take away from this today. Every one of us needs to ask God about money and say this, Lord, how much should I have? 
For some of you, you're going to be able to handle millions of dollars, and you're going to do fine with that. That'll be the zone for you. And you'll use it wisely, and you'll leverage the funds of this world to do great things for the life to come. That's fine. For many of us, you know, God's going to keep us in a zone in which we're going to have to keep our eyes on him all the time and keep focus on him. I, I don't know how, how many are like this here today. My guess is a lot of us are here like this. Have you ever wondered why God didn't make you rich? Because it seems like it would be such an easy life, you know, if I was rich, I could just, you know, I could pay for my kids' tuition to college, and, you know, I could pay off all my friends' loans, and I could do this for this person, do this for this person. If only I were rich. Have you ever stopped to consider that what we're really asking for is the control that Solomon talked about? In effect, in, in a backhanded way, what we're kind of wishing is we wish we were rich so we could be God. Maybe we intend that, intend that in a benevolent way, but the issue is still there. And Solomon is saying, I don't want to be so rich that I don't need you, or I think that I don't need you, and he said, I don't want to be so poor that I, I steal and I defy your name. So Solomon is saying, Lord, keep me in the zone. My guess is that most of us are in that zone today. But we need to understand what it is. Pray and ask God. It's not a bad thing to have money. It's not a sinful thing to have money. But we need to say, Lord, keep me in the zone that is just right for me. Let's move on. Proverbs 10, verse 16. The earnings of the godly enhance their lives, but evil people squander their money on sin. Now, I want to make a point right now and make sure that you, you get it. Some of you have been in church all your lives, and, and what you've learned is this. You've learned that money is the root of all evil, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not a bad thing. Money is neither bad nor good within itself. That's what this verse is saying. Listen, the earnings of the godly enhance their lives, but evil people squander their money on sin. So money there is, an, is a neutral thing. It's what's in the heart of a person that makes money either good or bad. And I just want to say this to you today. God has given you the funds that you have to be able to enjoy your life. God's not against you enjoying your life. He's not against you having a nice home. God's not against you having a nice automobile. He's not against you wearing nice clothes. He's not against you having good things in life. God has given you money to be able to enhance your life. He's just saying, don't take the blessings that he gives us and turn around and use them against him to sin. Well, let's, let's look at the next life point. Proverbs 13, verse 11. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows embrace the correlation, embrace the connection between money and hard work. The Bible says money from get-rich-quick schemes tends to end badly. I've met a lot of people in my life that were always looking for some get-rich-quick get scheme, and those people never know how to handle money. And, I'm, and if, you're, if you buy lottery tickets, I, I don't have anything against you, except it seems like I'm always standing in line behind a lot of people who are buying lottery tickets, and I don't wait very well, you know? And I'll, I'll watch people buy lottery tickets. And then I've actually seen people stand there and win a few dollars and then turn around and cash their winnings in on more lottery tickets with which they lost money. That's just the very nature of get-rich-quick schemes. But the Bible says that money gained through hard work grows. God has intended hard work to be part of our lives so that we will attach a real value to money. The next one, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything your land produces. Now, see that word honor there? It means value. The Bible says value God with your finances. 
And notice this. God says, value the Lord with the very best that you have financially. Now, you know, many people, they, they, they take this idea when it comes to, to giving to God and to God's work. Well, you know, I'll spend money on myself, and if I have any left over, then I'll give it to God. You know, if I have the tithe left over, then I'll give it to God. If I have anything left, I'll give it to God. It's like, you know, eating the chicken and giving the bones to God. Just whatever's left over, you can have it. But notice what God says. God says, with your finances, give God the best. God is saying, take what you're given financially and give him the very best part. Give him the very first part. And somebody's going to say, well, wow, Mark, I got a real issue with this because I don't like this at all. <laughs> I mean, you know, I got a lot of bills. I got a lot of things I got to do with my money, and I don't have as much as I wish I had. And, and giving God the first part, the best part, I just don't see that. Well, you might all take a look at the next verse. Because the next verse says, then, what's the then for? After you've given God the best of what you have, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with the finest wine. Here's what God is saying. You give me your best, I'll give you my best. Now, I'm not a smart man, but I'm smart enough to know this. I know my best isn't near as good as God's best. This isn't about money. God's not trying to get his hands on our stack. He's just saying, if you'll trust me to give me what's first, if you'll trust me to give me what's your best, God's saying, I'll give you my best. That's a great way to live your life, and my prayer is that you will take that to heart. I want to close this morning with a text about finances in the New Testament that gives us a whole lot of help. And if you have your notes before, you might want to just jot these down so that you can read them later. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And in these verses, God gives us seven realities about our lives when God has given us money. Seven things that we're to think about. Let me read the verses to you. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone, but their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of real life. Seven things God wants you to know relational to money. Number one, don't be proud. If you have a lot, don't be proud. Why should you not be proud? Because you didn't give it to yourself. And beyond that, you don't control it. We've already seen that at the moment you die, you lose all control. So number one, don't be proud. If God has blessed you, enjoy the blessings, enjoy life, Use it to do good, as we'll see in a moment, but don't be proud. Number two, don't trust in your money. Why? Because money is, is here today. It can be gone tomorrow. Number three, the Bible says trust in God. God is the source of our blessings. Much wiser to trust in the source than to trust in the blessing. Number four, enjoy what he gives you. You know, don't, don't make yourself unhappy today wishing for what you're going to have tomorrow. I've met so many people like that. You know, they, they have everything they need, but they're looking forward to more tomorrow, and they can't enjoy it. Like Steve's song, they, they can't enjoy their families and the good things that they have today because of what, what they think they're going to obtain tomorrow. Number four, enjoy what he gives you. Number five, use your money to do good. Use your money to do good. Number six, be rich in doing good things. It's one thing to look at your stock portfolio and see good things. One thing to look at your bank account and see good things. So much better to look at your life and what you're accomplishing and to see yourself having wealth and assets of good things. And then finally, 
share. You know, what God has given you, God, God doesn't expect you to hoard it. He expects you to share it with others. So what's the outcome of those seven things? Here's what the Bible says. If you will live by those seven principles, number one, you will store up treasure. In other words, when you die, you won't be leaving your wealth. You'll be going to your wealth. That's a smart investment. I mean, you're not going to live here. We're going to see this next week in our series. We're going to live here for maybe 70, 80, 90 years, maybe a little more. We're going to live in heaven forever. How much wiser to store up treasure for the life to come. So the Bible says if we live by those seven principles, we'll store up treasure. And number two, I love this, the Bible says you will take hold of real living. This one I'm through. There's living and there's real living. Some of you have a lot of money, but you're just living. You're just functioning. You know what I mean by that? You're just functioning. You go to work. You deposit your check. You pay your bills. You recreate a little bit, but you're just living. And there's some of you that are really living. You're enjoying life. You're enjoying Jesus. You're enjoying your kids. You're enjoying your friends. You wake up every day. You may not be rich, but you wake up every day, and you can't wait to see what God has for you. And you have challenges, but you rise above the challenges. And you're looking forward to heaven. You're saying, you know what? I'm having a great time here. But like David said, goodness and mercy are going to chase me all the days of my life, and then I'm going somewhere. That's really living. And that's what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying if you use money the right way, if you won't be proud, and if you'll not trust in your money, but trust in God who is the source of all things, and if you use your money to do good, and and you're rich in good works, and you're sharing with other people, and you're honoring God with the first and the best that God gives you, the Bible says you're just going to be really living. You're going to really live. And that's my challenge for you today. You'll think about these things that we've talked about. Solomon said, what I observe doesn't look good. But God comes along with whole new financial principles, and he says, if you'll employ these, you'll be really living. God bless you. Let's bow our heads for just a moment.